Welcome into a Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here on our platform for the next hour to talk about the National Football League, everything that's happening. MDS will join us coming up in about 40 minutes or so, depending upon how much I say between now and then, to hand out <laughs> Week 2 awards. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? Thank you for trusting me to sit in with you today, Mike. Why would I not trust you? <laughs> no, I'm just picking up off the lead in there with oh, Josh well, McDaniel saying earned... he trusts Dave. Oh, oh, I see. I was thinking about other aspects of the lead in and also some things that we're going to be talking about coming up because I was <laughs> going to say you have earned your platform, as have I, and we use our platforms for good for the most part. In the interest of helping fans better understand this wacky sport that is the National Football League. And let's get into it. we got a lot to cover today. How about this? Hey, we knew all the various quarterback injuries coming out of Sunday. Andy Dalton, Tyrod Taylor, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And now we find out more. We've got Ben Roethlisberger, who has an injury. Here's Mike Tomlin, coach of the Steelers, talking to reporters earlier today. Ben has a, has a pec um, injury of some kind on his left pec. Um, that could affect him in, from a preparation standpoint. Um, don't have an idea how much as I sit here right now, uh, but we better be ready to be adjustable and, and, and deal with that. Mike, you know how Ben hurt his pec. And uh, second part of the question is, are you considering making any changes on the offensive line? Um, I'll answer the second part first. I'm not. Um, and... And the answer to the first part is I don't know specifically when Ben uh, got injured in game. I don't know that he does. You know, sometimes just in the midst of competition, adrenaline and so forth, you just don't know. Sometimes things just come up after. Yeah, sometimes what happens is you're old, you go to bed. I'm not being facetious here. Been there, done that, still doing it. Go to bed, feeling fine. Wake up the next morning. Feeling like you've been run over by a truck. That's part of being older. And that's one of the concerns I've had for Ben Roethlisberger as he creeps toward 40. He turns 40 in March. These injuries that maybe he wouldn't have noticed or maybe he would have gotten over quickly, they're going to linger. And this pec injury, I I appreciate Mike Tomlin's candor. Because, Shereen, he had no obligation to tell anybody anything today. They have no duty to say anything until we get to Wednesday when they issue their first practice report. Didn't participate, limited, full participation, injured body part mentioned. So I like the candor. It's above and beyond what the rules require. But there's definitely a question here now that's going to be resolved over the next few days, whether and to what extent Ben Roethlisberger is going to be limited, whether and to what extent his availability for Sunday against the Bengals is in jeopardy. Well, and you use your peck, obviously, to throw passes, right? It's not, even if it's his left one, he's still going to use it to throw passes. So this is going to be something that we have to watch all week, Mike, to see if he's able to play. But you're right. When you're 39 years old, going on 40, and hey, he even said, I don't exactly have Tom Brady. I mean, everybody wanted to say he adopted Tom Brady's TB12 method and all that. And he even said, I didn't do that. We know he doesn't train exactly like TB12. And I'm not ripping on him. I'm just saying TB12 does a lot of special things that, that these other quarterbacks don't do. And the injuries do start catching up to you. And when you've taken as many hits as he has over 18 seasons, he was only sacked twice, Mike, but he was hit 10 times and he was hit hard 10 times. And no matter who they have at quarterback, if the Steelers can't do a better job of protecting their quarterback, it's going to be a long season for this team. I loved that exchange from earlier in the training camp process where basically he said, how dare you have the impression that I actually am careful with my body. I'm still the same slob that I've always been. (laughs) Do not report that I'm being more cautious about my diet and my exercise and my weight. So bottom line and... Look, I admire the guy for still playing at age 39, and this guy has taken a ton of physical abuse over the years playing football, and he hasn't shied away from it. And something happened to him on Sunday where that muscle is injured. And look, you, you, you can only do so many things to injure your pec. And 
usually we hear about guys being lost for the season when they have a pec injury of a certain amount. So if it's enough that it's actually worth pointing out, it's not some minor little strain that you're just kind of like, oh, you know, it just feels weird when I do that. It is something that is affecting him in some way, and it definitely bears paying attention to. Remember, it was last year in week two during the game against two week two years ago, excuse me, during the game against the Seahawks that he suffered that elbow injury and was lost for the season. Let's just pay attention to it. There have been plenty of quarterback injuries over the years that start as something where we just say, ah, that's no big deal. Shereen, I remember week two of 2017, four years ago, Sam Bradford, then the Vikings starter, coming off of a great Monday night game against the Saints to start the season, showed up on the injury report, did not practice, knee, never played again for the Vikings. Never again. Never suited up again. Done for the year, eventually. So it makes sense to pay attention to where this goes from here. By the way, T.J. Watt's groin injury, I heard on Sunday – that they didn't think it was anything that was going to be a multiple-week absence, but it was enough to knock him out of a game that he believed he could have made a, a huge difference in, but he could be back as soon as Sunday against the Bengals. I, I could see possibly a temptation to give him a week off and maybe get him ready to go for the Packers. That's a big game coming up in 12 days for the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's some good games looming in Week 4, headlined by the Buccaneers traveling to face the New England Patriots. So we'll see. Tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, we'll see what Ben Roethlisberger ultimately is able to do this weekend, Shireen. And it's too early to really have any feel. It's going to affect his preparation. Will it affect his availability? I'm not even going to have a gut feeling on this, but I think it makes sense for everyone to be paying attention to it. Yeah, and they have a lot more injuries, Mike, and I think you talked about the groin. They have four guys with groin injuries, which when you start to get those injuries that multiple players have, you start to wonder if – there's something going on that all these players have them. T.J. Watt, as you mentioned, Alex Highsmith, Devin Bush, Joe Hayden, all have groin injuries. They also have obviously have lost Tyson Alualu for a while. He had ankle surgery after that fracture. Deontay Johnson has a knee injury. So the injuries are starting to pile up a little bit for the Steelers. And if they don't have Roethlisberger, we know they have Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. But neither one of those guys are Ben Roethlisberger, Mike. And so this, this could be a tough go here for the Steelers if they don't have Roethlisberger for this week or beyond this week. And all these other guys are out, too, are hurting. And the other thing we need to keep in mind, and this is based on 20 years of cover in this crazy sport, groin injury can morph into what they now call the core muscle surgery. They used to call it a hernia, sports hernia. Anytime I see groin and it's a chronic thing, I just wonder if there's something that that may be out there that results in a surgical intervention and maybe a six-week absence. So it's just something to, to keep an eye on, the trends that we see develop year in and year out. Here's a trend that we don't see happen very often, an NFL stadium actually catching on fire. Nothing serious, no injuries, no indication that the Superdome won't be available when the Saints returned there in week four to take on the Giants. But jarring images of the roof of the Superdome ablaze. And that's not some tiny little fire. That's a huge building. That's a gigantic building. So you see that plume of black smoke. Something's going on there. And apparently it had something to do with a power washer that Apparently malfunctioned, but uh, yeah, not good, but not serious, under control, still on track to host the Giants on October the 3rd, Shereen. Boy, how many things can go wrong for the Saints? I mean, I know this was minor, especially compared to all the problems they've had, but they haven't even played a home game yet because of Hurricane Ida, and then they had two road games followed by that, so they don't play their home opener, really. Their quote-unquote home opener was week one, I get, but their real home opener comes in week four. They had all their coaches with COVID. They've had just one thing after another go wrong for this team, Mike. And unlike Hurricane Katrina, this team is better positioned to handle all that's gone wrong. Of course, the three starters out on defense. But still, they've had so many things go wrong that at some point you start to think maybe it's not our year. I know Sean Payton handles all these things very, very well. And I know he tried not to make excuses while making excuses, but this team does have a ton of excuses. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 all featured 
heartbreaking playoff exits one way or the other. Most recently, up seven in the third quarter against the Bucks, driving to go up 10 or 14. Out comes the ball from Jared Cook, courtesy of Antoine Winfield Jr., and that was that for the Saints' season. So they may not even get a chance this year to get back to the playoffs and have a heartbreaking loss. We'll see. We're still trying to figure out, and we talked about this yesterday, which Saints team is the real Saints team, week one or week two. The Houston Texans, surprisingly, one and one. Home game Thursday night, short week. Tyrod Taylor on injured reserve. And David Culley, the coach of the Texans, confirmed today that rookie Davis Mills, not Mills Davis, Davis Mills, will be starting at quarterback in place of Tyrod Taylor. No Deshaun Watson. And Davis Mills wasn't horrible when he got thrust into action at halftime of Sunday's loss to the Browns. He gets a chance to prepare. The problem is he only has Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to prepare for that Thursday night game. And, oh, the Panthers' defense is pretty damn good. So this is baptism by fire for Davis Mills, who gets a start in the NFL before Justin Fields and before Trey Lance, Shereen. Not ideal on a short week, Mike, against the Panthers, who, as you said, number one in total defense after two games. They're only allowing 190 yards, I would say. If Jameis Winston can't get it done against the Panthers, I'm certainly not expecting Davis Mills to get it done against them. But stranger things have happened, and this is a team that does play hard. They'll also move up Jeff Driscoll from the practice squad. So if Davis Mills is absolutely terrible, at least Driscoll has made some NFL starts can come in and relieve him. But the Texans face an uphill battle here. They've played hard in the first two games, and I'm still convinced if Tyrod Taylor had stayed in in the second half, if he was able to, that hamstring didn't go out on him. He got put on injured reserve today. If that hamstring hadn't gone bad on him, I'm still convinced the Texans would have won that game against the Browns. They were out playing the Browns when he went out of the game. And there was a time not that many years ago when IR meant you were done for the year. Then they came up with modified procedures where certain players could come back after eight weeks. Now the COVID rules from 2020 carried over to this year for maximum roster flexibility. Three weeks is what you have to miss when you're placed on in reserve. He'll be eligible to return three weeks from today, and that's good news for the Texans if he's indeed healthy. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle reported yesterday it's a four-week absence for Tyrod Taylor. Anytime after three weeks, he's free to return. They can fill his roster spot and basically stash him while he recovers, which is helpful for the Texans because they're devoting a roster spot already to the guy who isn't going to play this week or any week for the Texans this year, Deshaun Watson and you know, I, I talked about this earlier today with Rich Eisen. We talked about it yesterday. If I'm a Texans fan, I'm beside myself that it's somehow this relationship in less than a year got to the point where this guy that has been paid an entire armored car full of money is just not available to play for us. Regardless of how it got here, the fact that it's happening has to be a source of immense torment for Texans fans. And Shireen... It would make me, if I were a customer of the Texans, think long and hard about opting out entirely for this year and not going to any games and not even watching the games. I don't care. I don't care. Maybe if you're above 500 halfway through the season, I'll climb back onto the bandwagon. But, you know, it's a protest vote to say, I want nothing to do with this team. Now, they could go a long way toward winning some folks over if they would muster a victory over the Panthers on Thursday night. Crazier things have happened already this season. Well, and you know, Mike, this isn't a short rebuild. I mean, I've talked a lot about the 30 players with five years of experience or more that they've signed, a lot of those on one-year contracts. A lot of those guys are going to be gone after this year. This is a long rebuild. This isn't, hey, we're competing for 2022. This is 2023, probably 2024, maybe 2025. They're playing to draft that quarterback. Unless Davis Mills comes out and shows something in the next four games, they're going to draft a quarterback high next year, and it's going to take some time. They're the Jets right now trying to rebuild this thing with a young quarterback starting next year with a roster start over. There's not many players who are going to be on this roster, Mike, two years from now, three years from now. This is a total roster rebuild. So this is a long, long process for the Texans, and their fans have waited a long time to see them get close, which they did. It's hard to believe they were up 24 nothing on the Chiefs a couple years ago, and now here they are with this total rebuild uh, in the NFL. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I got to give Nick Casario credit for putting a competitive team together with all of these various yeah. veterans. However, however, if the goal is to have dibs on whoever the best quarterbacks may be coming out in the draft, you don't want to win too many games. You're going to have extra yeah. draft picks when you move to Sean Watson, but still, you would like the one that you earn to be as high as possible because you know you're not going to the playoffs. Now, it's too early to assume they won't. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll lay the foundation to be competitive next year. I like what they've done so far. We'll see what they do moving forward. The Browns, also 1-1, one one, could be 0-2. I agree with you. If Tyrod Taylor hadn't been injured, maybe the Texans win that game and move to 2-0. and The Browns won't have Jarvis Landry for the next three weeks. Knee injury, MCL. Odo Beckham Jr. reportedly has a good chance to play this weekend when the Bears come to town. Browns go to Minnesota in week four. They won't have Jarvis Landry for either of those games. They need OBJ. Now, different type of receiver than Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry, an underneath possession, grind it out, make the tough catches on third down type of guy. OBJ, more of a stretch the field guy. But it hurts to not have Landry. Passionate, effective, talented, underrated, and absent now for at least three weeks with that knee injury, Shereen. And tough, Mike. I would add that to the definition of Jarvis Lender. He has never missed a game because of injury. He missed a game last season as a high-risk close contact for the COVID protocols, but never missed a game because of injuries, which is unbelievable with the position he plays, how he goes over the middle, everything he does. They're going to miss him. Six catches for 80 yards. He's been targeted six times. He's caught every single one of those passes and also had the touchdown run. Uh, in week one so they're going to miss Jarvis Landry even if Odell Beckham's back he's just so reliable and so tough yeah absolutely and Baker Mayfield has that shoulder that's banged up and the Browns just defensively haven't really gotten to the point where we thought they would be with Jadavian Clowney joining Miles Garrett and the talent on the back end, the linebackers, Jeremiah Wusakoromo, the guy that fell to them in round two that they thought about taking in round one they just haven't had that that performance to match the expectation yet although they did have the Chiefs on the ropes in week one they need to win a couple in a row to just begin to build that momentum and and get to the level we thought they'd be at because the AFC we already knew it going into the season but it's obvious there are some very good teams and there are going to be some real battles in that conference this year all right that brings us to and we've saved enough time to have some fun and an informative and lighting discussion with this Aaron Rodgers we played at the top of the show some of his comments from after the victory over the Detroit Lions on Monday night a victory that I ultimately wasn't all that impressed by because it's their perennial punching bag you're supposed to beat the Lions you're supposed to beat the crap out of the Lions they did it doesn't address the questions that emerged from week one week one they were horrible Week one, they admittedly, per Rodgers, didn't have the energy that they needed. And Rodgers got criticized by a lot of people who have a lot of different platforms, TV, web, print, wherever. Rodgers was along with Pat McAfee, as he is every Tuesday, and he had some things to get off of his chest. Let's hear from Aaron Rodgers. It's absolute horseshit to give a platform to people who have no idea what they're talking about as far as my mental state... And, you know, my focus, my work habits, people that have not been around me, they're not in my life. I don't have communication with them or not in the locker room. I mean, that's that's just that's just it's chicken. You know, it's it's so ridiculous that, that people give get a platform to do this. And it's the same type of people on the flip side of that. I think in this day and age of media, the, the things that get the most, it's all about clicks, right, and hits and views, and uh, one second counts as a view. So the, the actually opinions that are garnering the most attention are the most outlandish. So, so it's not even overreaction Monday or Tuesday anymore. It's overreaction every time a microphone's in your face, every time you have a single shot in the camera and you get to talk to camera, every time you're on a panel. It's who can say the most outlandish things uh, because that's going to give you the most hits. That's the media we live in. That's fine. But at the same time, I still, you know, I still have this show. I have my weekly stuff. I mean, most people, you know, don't use their platform to defend themselves. I don't think I need to defend myself from people who aren't worth spending time on. I would really love to know who he's talking about, Shereen, because this isn't just me. And let me be very clear. 
I'm able to compartmentalize my feelings about Aaron Rodgers. One, he's one of the great quarterbacks of all time, without question. Two, the Packers haven't done nearly enough to help him get to where he should be by way of team achievement. Sims and I spent a lot of time today in the morning show talking about how the corporate structure of the Packers prevents them from having that one strong personality, that multi-billionaire that wants to have Super Bowl trophies on his $250 million yacht saying, we're getting this guy, we're getting that guy. They never go all in that way. They never do. They never go all in. That holds back Aaron Rodgers from a team standpoint, but it's also possible to believe both of those things and that it's kind of a bad look that he's whining about people fairly criticizing a guy who put a lot of eggs in the basket by making it all about him, whether he intended to or not. The offseason was made all about him, and he may have a legitimate explanation for it, but he also has the resources available to him to shape the PR in a way that would have not made him look the way he did, which came off as a little self-absorbed, holding the franchise hostage, letting the clock run all the way up until the start of training camp as to whether or not he's going to show up. He said himself he was 50-50 up until the weekend before the start of camp. Are you kidding me? So when you do all that and your team stinks week one, of course people are going to say, hmm, I wonder if that had something to do with the distraction that was created by number 12 from the first day of the draft through and until the first day of training camp and beyond because he decided to air out the team multiple times, including in the interview that aired in the Fox pregame show week one with Aaron Andrews when he talked about how they should just trade me if they want to move on to Jordan Love. And I did think about retiring. So it's, it's fair and appropriate to have opinions along those lines. Great quarterback, didn't handle himself in an ideal way this offseason, and doesn't like to be criticized for it. Hey, Aaron, none of us like to be criticized. But sometimes we get criticized, and we can either take it or we can whine about it. You choose to whine about it, that's your business. But it's a bad look when it's not just one person. Is he taking on the full CBS today, NFL Today panel? Nate Burleson, who went all in on Rodgers week two, making it about himself. His disposition was bad on the sideline in week one. Bill Cower, Bill Cower, who is far from you know the stereotypical clickbait guy, says that Rodgers looks very selfish. He almost looks aloof. It looks like he doesn't really care. Show me you care. Cower said on the CBS NFL today, the successor to the Brett Musburger, Jimmy, the Greek, Irv Cross, Phyllis George show the show of record from the mid seventies. That's what Cower said. Show me. It's important to you that the team is more important than you. And right now I haven't seen that. Um, so again, this isn't just a random voice in the wilderness. This isn't skip Bayless deciding to take shots at LeBron James incessantly. This is widespread. I'd love to know who he's upset with because I have a feeling when he starts making the list, he's not going to know when to stop. Bill Cowher has a gold jacket, Mike. Bill Cowher doesn't need clicks, which is what Aaron Rodgers referred to. Why they're criticizing me is because they want clicks. Why does Bill Cowher need clicks? He has a bust in Canton. You will join him in Canton one day. So it always makes me laugh, Mike, when players and coaches always, oh, I don't read the media, I, you, know, you guys don't matter, I don't listen to it. And then they come out and talk about the criticism they received. Of course they listen to it. Of course they hear it. Of course they're mad about it. All of them look for something to have a chip on their shoulder that motivates them. Maybe this is what Aaron Rodgers needed to get him ready to play in week two because he he, he's the one who said we didn't have energy in week one. Maybe he needed that to find his energy in week two. But I'll tell you this, if that's what he needs to get ready every single week, this team's in big, big trouble. Yeah, look, I, I really do think, and it's easier said than done. We hear a lot about player mental health today, and thank God for that, because these guys are in a very tough yeah. spot. It's a public life you walk out to the stadium when you're the visiting team with 70,000 people who hate you. You've got to worry about people on social media upset with you because their fantasy team didn't do as well as it could because you had a bad day or they bet money on you and your team lost, whatever the case may be. You've got to know how to separate from it. You can't listen to it, and it's easier said than done. I remember when we first started allowing comments at PFT. My wife would read them. 
and she would say, why do you let people say these things? I said, look, I don't read them, so I don't care. And even if one of them slips through, I understand that these folks say these things because they're passionate about football. And if they weren't passionate about it, they wouldn't say these things. And you know what? We wouldn't be getting paid what we're getting paid to write about it and talk about it. It's the dynamic that I point out from time to time when it comes to Bill Belichick and his disdain for the media. Hey, Bill, if you don't like dealing with the media, go go coach high school lacrosse. You won't have to worry about the media. So it goes with the territory. And the criticism of Aaron Rodgers goes with the territory. You're the MVP of the league. You, regardless of whether you meant to or not, circumstances created a situation where you were the biggest story in the offseason. This was unprecedented. A defending NFL MVP who may change teams, the first MVP other than Norm Van Brocklin and Jim Brown to not play for the team with which he won the award the prior year. Both of them retired. This guy's possibly going to force his way out of town. And he thought he was getting traded. And he was pissed that they reneged on the promise to trade him. There was so much to unpack there. And when he showed up for camp and he had that press conference, that epic press conference that vindicated 99% of the things that were reported. So it's just stunning to me. And there's a fine line between the attitude we're getting from Aaron Rodgers and the attitude that we got for four years and are still getting, but not to the same extent because he's been deplatformed of a certain high-level politician who loved praise and hated any and all criticism and was irrationally vindictive about it. That's how he's acting. And I'm allowed to have that opinion. And I've earned this platform. And it's a fair opinion. He's coming off as petty. He's coming off as vindictive. And he's coming off as childish. By worrying about the things that not just one person may be saying, but many people are saying. And it's all justifiable based upon the things we see. I don't need to have you know, the two tin cans with a string into the locker room to know what's really going on. We can see it. We can hear it. We can apply common sense. We can base it on our experience covering the league. This is unprecedented to have this type of a situation. So, anyway, I just I needed to get that off my chest because I think that it's unfair for him to be mad at anyone when there are so many people who are calling him out for that 38-3 to crap show that the Packers offered up in the first game that they played with him on the field after all of this stuff happened in the offseason. And I would add selfish to that too, Mike. I mean, this is a team sport, and he needs to be talking about his team and worried about his team and not talking about himself and the criticism that he's taking. Because here we are talking about him again. He's made it all about him once again. This was the whole offseason. This was training camp. This was after the first game. And now here we are in week two, week, going into week three, and we're still talking about Aaron Rodgers because he's still talking about criticism and everything else that's going on. So I would add selfish to that list of things that you just mentioned, Mike. Remember the report from Charles Robinson that Aaron Rodgers wanted GM Brian Kudegunst to be fired? Yeah. Rodgers never said boo about that. Ever. Now, he may have been asked about it at some point months after the fact, but that just hung out there. And I mention that because basically he wants some people in the media to be fired. He wants anybody who's chiming in in a way that he doesn't like to be fired. And it's just, come on, you're better than that. I hate that phrase because when any, whenever anyone says it to me, my response is, actually, I'm not. You just don't know me very well. Aaron, you're better than that. <laughs> you're better than that. Worrying about what, what idiots like me say. You're better than worrying about what Nate Burleson and Bill Cowher say. Whoever it is that's on your list, and it's ever-growing, you're better than that. You've got it made. You have won the game of life. You are just living on house money at this point. Enjoy your life. Forget about us. Focus on what it takes to achieve the legacy that you hope to ultimately have from the sport of football and then pivot to whatever business enterprises you're going to have later. Quit worrying about us. You'll be a lot happier if you do. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, a little which doesn't belong and why. PFTPM, back after this. How do you see the, the running back touches going forward here? It was, it was pretty split uh, in this week. Pollard had a pretty good game. How yeah. do you see the touches moving forward? Well, I see it as a, uh, a 
a great asset to this team, and uh, uh, you don't have an issue. Uh, we could uh, uh, have more carries or more touches by the running back, and in my opinion, will, uh, because of uh, uh, both the players are outstanding out of the backfield as receivers and quite a threat. How do you guys weigh the contracts that go in there? I mean, does you're paying somebody $15 million. I mean, you want to get your money's worth, but somebody else is playing really, really well, and you want to be able to save Zeke. How do you weigh the contracts when all that is said and done? Well, you don't in terms of uh, the ultimate decision. You do what makes the first down, or you do what gets the most yards or ultimately wins the game, and that's where it all, all comes. Jerry Jones, Cowboys owner and GM on 105.3 The Fan. He does Tuesday and Friday segments. Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, both looking pretty good. And, you know, Shereen, I said this yesterday on PFT Live. That contract that Ezekiel Elliott leveraged from the Cowboys back in 2019 when he held out and he was down in Cabo working out. And, you know, he hasn't quite been exactly the same guy since then. But he got a contract that gave him tremendous financial protection. It had rolling guarantees they were not letting him go this year because his guaranteed salary for this year vested last year, not this year. They didn't have a window to move on from him this year. And actually, there's some guaranteed money he has next year that vested this year. Yep. So it was a great contract by his agent, Rocky Arsenault. And uh, the Cowboys otherwise would be considering, I think, turning the thing over to Tony Pollard. Um, do you agree or disagree with that assessment? I, I'm curious. Absolutely. And I think if they were able to move on from him after this year, I think they would because Tony Pollard is going to be a free agent. I think they would like to re-sign him. I don't know if they're going to be able to re-sign him. And I don't know if Tony Pollard's going to want to be re-signed with Zeke there, Mike. He's probably going to go somewhere to be running back one, which he can be somewhere else. He's not going to be that in Dallas with Zeke making what he's making. It's amazing that the Cowboys had DeMarco Murray. He set a franchise record for single-season yep. rushing yards, and they let him walk away in free agency. For Zeke, he's got a $12.4 million salary next year that fully guaranteed on the fifth day of 2021. So that's going to be a tough one uh, because it's not like anyone else, if they would cut him, is going to pay him the 12-4. They're going to owe him the difference. I don't know what he would get on the open market, but there's a rule of thumb. Running backs typically only get big money from the teams with which they became stars. When they become available, other teams do not want to pay them, and we see time and again teams paying for past performance, and that's what the Cowboys are currently doing with Ezekiel Elliott, and good for Elliott to get the money that he deserved, yeah. which doesn't belong in why. Washington, Philadelphia, Dallas, three teams that are one and one tied for first, second, and third place in the NFC East. I'm going to go with the Cowboys, maybe for the reason you don't think, Mike, but they're the only team in there with a proven quarterback who's played at an elite level and is playing at an elite level. They have the best win, which was beating the Chargers last week, 2017. You argue they shouldn't have won that game, but the fact is they did win that game. And they also have the best loss. They had a chance to beat the Buccaneers. You can argue that maybe they should have beaten the Buccaneers in week one uh, if their kicker had been a little bit better. But they, won, they lost that one 31-29 to the defending Super Bowl champions and, and looked really good doing it. I think they're the favorites in that division because of all of that, because they're playing really well, better on defense, and they have all those weapons on offense, Mike. I'm going to say Washington because of the three teams, Washington is the one that is underachieving relative to expectations. Washington should be True. 0-2 if Dexter Lawrence doesn't fall out of his stance, if the officials don't incorrectly conclude that he was offside because – he did fall out of his stance just as the ball was being snapped on that 48-yard field goal try by Dustin Hopkins that went wide. They're 0-2. So uh, they have not been, especially defensively, the team we thought they would be. So I'll say Washington. 49ers, Rams, Cardinals, 2-0 NFC West teams, which doesn't belong and why? I picked the 49ers to win that division, and they still might, but I don't think they fit in that conversation right now. I think the other two teams have looked much better. The 49ers have survived. That's where they are. They beat the Lions 41-33 and let the Lions come back and have a chance there at the end of the game. They beat the Eagles 17-11. 
Uh, I know both were on the road. I get that. I realize they've had the injuries, but the Cardinals were so impressive against the Titans. The Rams were so impressive against the Bears and then beat the Colts. So the 49ers just haven't done anything yet to impress you. They still might. I still think they've got a really good team, but they haven't done that yet. Yeah, you know, I was going to say the 49ers, but I'll say the Cardinals for a very simple reason. They have on their roster the most exciting player right now in the NFL. Your favorite and mine, Kyler Murray. And they also have Kyler Murray, the receiver, and Rondell Moore, who's actually shorter and lighter But it looks like Murray to Murray every time that Murray throws it to (laughs) Rondell Moore. All right, uh, Panthers, Broncos, Raiders, 2-0 teams that didn't make it to the playoffs last year, which doesn't belong and why? I'm going to say the Broncos because you look at who they've beaten. They beat the Jaguars 23-13 on Sunday, and they started out with a victory over the Giants. And guess what? They have the Jets this week. Does anybody have an easier start than this team? We're going to find out about this team in the four games after the Jets game. They have Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Las Vegas, and Cleveland. Hey, if they go 2-2 and in those games, I'm going to be impressed. But they have had a really easy start to the season. They better win the game this week and get to 3-0 because they may be 3-4 and after the first seven games. Yeah, I think the Broncos don't fit just because I haven't been as impressed. They should have beaten the Jaguars. I was impressed by what they did with the Giants, but the Giants, I don't know where the Giants are going to be. I think the Panthers and Raiders are on track to get to the postseason right now. Fifteen games left, it can all change. But all we can do is react to what we have in front of us. And what we have in front of us are three teams that we didn't expect to be 2-0. and Panthers, Broncos, and Raiders. Let's take a break. When we return, time to hand out the Week 2 non-hardware Hardware, no trophies, no prizes, no cash, not even a piece of paper, just the satisfaction of knowing that we care. The awards right after this on PFTPM. There's the Aaron Jones tweet found at 1.45 a.m. Thank you to our trainer, Brian Flea Engel. I'm forever grateful. That is a pendant with ashes in it from Aaron Jones. Late father died earlier this year at age 57 from COVID-19 complications. Just a heartbreaking story, but it's great that the pendant was found. It was lost after Jones scored his second of four touchdowns. We welcome in MDS for our annual ritual in season. Players of the week, whether it's offensive, defensive, rookie, also coach of the week. Hello, MDS, and let's get it rolling with Offensive Player of the Week. As always, MDS, you're up first. Well, I'm going with Lamar Jackson, who had the 11th double-triple of his NFL career. That's 239 passing yards and 107 rushing yards. He's already got 11 double-triples. No one else in NFL history even has 10. But, you know, I think more than just the statistics, Lamar Jackson, he said before the game, it's not about him and Patrick Mahomes. But I think to a a significant extent, it is because we judge the great quarterbacks by how they compare to their contemporaries. And if Lamar Jackson wants to be part of the next generation of great quarterbacks, he has to be able to lead his team to wins over Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And on Sunday night, he did just that. MDS, what a difference a week makes for Lamar Jackson and for Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, week one, 17 carries for 58 yards, no touchdowns. The Titans get blown out. What happens in week two? 
He comes back, 35 carries, 182 yards, three touchdowns, and the Titans win 33-30. It's amazing when the Titans put the ball in Derrick Henry's hands, what happens? Good things happen. He now leads the league once again. He's going to probably be three straight, barring injury, but he now leads the league, 52 carries, 240 yards, and three touchdowns, his 61 touches also lead the league, Mike, and Derrick Henry looks like Derrick Henry again. Took a little while, but he finally got it going, and the Titans get to one and one with that big overtime win. I'm going with the guy that we already talked about, Aaron Jones, four touchdowns last night, three receiving touchdowns for the Green Bay Packers. He was a guy that could have become a free agent back in March. The, pa- uh, the Packers kept him around. I don't know if he could have gotten more anywhere else. Probably not, as I said last segment. Typically what happens is running backs get their best deals with the teams they've already played for, but Jones played extremely well, an important weapon in that Packers offense. And a, 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 a sad story this year dedicating the season to his late father. All right, let's pivot over to the other side of the ball. Defensive player of the week for week two. MDS, who do you have? I have Roquan Smith of the Bears, who really had an outstanding game against the Bengals. He had a pick six. He had a sack. He had five solo tackles. I think he may now have surpassed Khalil Mack as the most important player on that Bears defense. And if Andy Dalton's injury means they're going to Justin Fields, I think the best thing the Bears can do for Fields is to put him in a position where he doesn't need to do too much. And a good defense led by Roquan Smith may prove to be the best way not to put too much on Justin Fields, but to tell Justin Fields, just play within yourself. You don't have to do everything. Just don't turn the ball over. Don't make any big mistakes, and our defense will take care of the rest. Shutouts are really hard to get in the NFL. The Bills were able to get one on Sunday. There were a host of Bills you could have picked off of that defense. I went with Matt Milano. He had five tackles, a sack, two quarterbacks hits, two tackles for loss, a fumble recovery. He was all over the place. I thought he played outstanding for the Bills and a big reason that they were able to shut out the Miami Dolphins. I'm going with Mike Edwards, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive back, who had a couple of interceptions that were returned for touchdowns. It reminded me of Super Bowl 37 when Dwight Smith had two interception returns for touchdowns. One of them came so late that he wasn't the MVP. He should have been the MVP. The voting was closed. Dexter Jackson got it. It should have been Dwight Smith. But Mike Edwards, the defensive MVP of that game against the Atlanta Falcons, providing 14 points single-handedly in the Tampa Bay defensive effort. Let's go now to the Rookie of the Week, MDS. Who do you have? You know, Mac Jones of the Patriots has not been spectacular, but he's doing what his fellow rookie quarterbacks are not doing, and that's avoiding big mistakes. Through two games, Jones doesn't have a single turnover, and I really think that's what Bill Belichick wants from him. He wants him to play smart, play safe. That's what Mac Jones is doing so far. I think he is playing within the system that the Patriots are asking of him, and I think that in that context, he's playing very well. Write down Micah Parsons' name for Defensive Rookie of the Year because he's on his way to doing that. You know, the Cowboys lost both of their starting defensive ends after week one. Randy Gregory went on the COVID list, and Demarcus Lawrence broke that foot, going to be out a while. So they asked uh, Micah Parsons to be a pass rusher, and he did it, and he did it very well. He had two tackles, a sack, and four hurries, and his sack came at the perfect time. It was for 18 yards with the Chargers having a second goal at the seven with five minutes left, and instead of getting a touchdown, having a chance there, Chargers had to kick the field goal, and we know what happened after that. The Cowboys went down and kicked the game-winning field goal, but Micah Parsons set that up. He was all over the place as he was in week one as well. What a horrible call that was, too, of forward progress stopped. Yeah. It saved the, the Seahawks from a walk-off safety, but it also cost the Chargers a huge opportunity to score a touchdown instead of a field goal late in the game. I'm going with a guy that pairs up with my favorite quarterback to watch in the NFL, and he's actually shorter than Kyler Murray. That's Rondell Moore. He had seven catches for 114 yards and a touchdown, a 77-yarder. And maybe it's because he's so little they didn't notice him, but he was so wide open on that touchdown against the Vikings that he was able to stand there and wait for the ball. He just kind of parked and waited like a like a left fielder 
catching a can of corn. Those are likely to be dropped, too, when you're that wide open. But Rondell Moore, an exciting player for the Cardinals. And every time it's Murray to Moore, as PFT commenter pointed out, it looks like Murray is throwing to Murray because they look like the same guy. They're about the same size, but again, Moore a little bit smaller. Coach of the Week, final award for Week 2. MDS, who you got? I got Panthers coach Matt Rule, who has this team playing better than I was expecting. Sunday's 26-7 to win over the Saints, I think, was better than just about anyone expected. But, you know, this team looks further along in year two with Matt Rule than I, I really saw coming. I think that Sam Darnold looks like he's being well coached now and that's not just on that rule that's the entire coaching staff but you know there were a lot of questions when he was struggling with the jets is it him or is it just that the jets are a bad situation for him to be in the panthers carolina now looks like a good situation for him to be in i think matt rule has put together a good coaching staff he's got a lot of young players buying into his system I like what Matt Rule is doing with the Panthers. John Harbaugh had the most aggressive move of the week two, and it paid off for him. He trusted his quarterback, Lamar uh, Jackson, to get it done. You know, they got the ball back on that fumble recovery with 120 left at the Baltimore 34. Lamar Jackson ran it four times, and that was a big decision on fourth down. But we all expect that if they had punted that ball away, that Patrick Mahomes was going to lead the Chiefs back to victory. So they let it, didn't let it get to that. Fourth and one, John Harbaugh asked Lamar Jackson, Lamar, do you want to go for it? And he knew what the answer was going to be. Everybody knew what the answer was going to be, and it paid off. Lamar Jackson picks up the first down, and the next one they get into victory formation, and it's done. They never gave the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Smart move by John Harbaugh, but it also was a gutsy call. What also made that that fourth down call so jarring, the drive began as if they were deliberately going to play it safe and not screw it up and not give Kansas City a short field, just force them to use their timeouts. And then all of a sudden, they gain seven or eight yards on third down. They're in position for fourth and short, and there it is. We're going for it, and uh, it worked and smart. The, the only thing I need to know about the analytics on that play is if Patrick Mahomes gets the ball back. The Ravens are going to lose the game. My coach of the week, I'll go back to that Buffalo game. It was so impressive to get the shutout, 35 nothing. Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator of the Bills, who never gets the credit he deserves and should, I think, at some point be a serious candidate to be a head coach again. He, he spent some time as the Vikings head coach. They had a mixed bag of results. He took the team to the playoffs in 2012, but he's done great things with the Buffalo defense. And not that they went into the game intending to try to injure Tua Tonga-Vailoa, but it's fair game to go after the quarterback. It's fair game to hit the quarterback legally. And if the quarterback can't continue, again, we, we feel differently about that than we did pre-Bounty Gate, but that's been a fundamental premise in football for years. Through the application of clean legal hits, if your opponent cannot continue, you're more likely to win the game. And that made it much more likely the Bills were going to win that game, get to one and one and try to keep building going forward an offense like the one they had last year. But if their defense plays like last year, they will be in great position. We say farewell to MDS, and we'll be back to answer some of your questions on this Tuesday edition of PFTPM. We put out a call for questions today, Ron Rivera, and this this is a comment that came in response to one of our tweets, Ron Rivera, regarding the taunting penalties you can celebrate where trying to prevent a brawl. Michael Grant, blue check, says, excuse me, is there a brawl problem in the NFL I'm unaware of? And you know, for the most part, they do a good job of keeping full-blown fights from happening. But the entire taunting rule, and this isn't a new rule, there, there are plenty of people who are getting this twisted around. It's not a new rule. It's a rule that's been on the books. It's a rule that has been haphazardly enforced, resulting in Tyree Kill routinely throwing deuces in the direction of opponents and not being flagged for it, culminating in Super Bowl 55. Once the victory was secure, Antoine Winfield Jr., putting the peace sign right in Tyree Kill's face. They're trying to avoid the in-your-face celebratory or confrontational action after a play or during a play. I understand that. I just think that this has been a complete and total failure of PR by the NFL. From the moment the point of emphasis became known, they failed to get the message out the right way, and they continue to fail to explain it the right way. They don't want guys in each other's faces 
in a way that is demeaning, degrading, or potentially could cause somebody later in the game when no one's looking to take a shot that you don't want that guy to be motivated to take a shot uh, doing. And, and that's it. It's that simple. It's very fashionable to complain about it, but I just think the NFL has done a poor job of selling it to the fans, to the media, to everyone who just resists this idea that the NFL doesn't want guys to be doing things to each other that could set the stage for physicality later. Mike, the NFL does have a brawl problem. Last time I was on PFT Live, if you remember, we had a whole segment about all the brawls they had in training camps and these joint practices, and the NFL did nothing about that. And now all of a sudden we're trying to prevent a brawl problem in the regular season. Maybe if we clean up things in these joint practices, we don't have to worry about taunting and all the things that go on in the season. But, yeah, the players need to better understand what's taunting and what's not taunting. And I think the officials need to better understand what's taunting and what's not taunting, too. Yeah, I I agree completely. And one of the problems with the taunting is, you know, there was a moment in the Cowboys-Chargers game where Keenan Allen got ear-holed, and he was mad. He took a helmet-to-helmet hit, and he got up to say something to the guy, and he got flagged for taunting. He's not taunting. He's just telling the guy, I don't appreciate you hitting me helmet-to-helmet, period. One more real quick. Jim, at JS2219, is the Vikings season toast, or can you give me hope? Hope comes in the form of the next two games. Seahawks-Browns. Vikings win those two games they're back on an even keel. They win one of the two, okay, maybe. They lose the next two, it's going to be a long season for the Vikings. And when you start 0-2, Shireen, when it's two games you could have won and should have won, the challenge is forget about it and focus on the next one. That's going to be the biggest thing, the most important thing Mike Zimmer can do this week. The great thing about it for the Vikings is they're only one game out of first place, but they should have made the field goal. They should have beaten the Cardinals. And Mike Zimmer's right. If they play like they did against the Cardinals, they'll win some games. If they play like they did in week one, they're not going to win many games. They need to see that team they saw last week that had the passion and the energy and played really, really well on both sides of the ball. And they still should have beaten the Bengals. And really, it was a bad call from the yeah. standpoint of Dalvin Cook was down, but there was no clear angle to overturn it on replay review, and they would have won the game potentially with a field goal if Greg Joseph would have made that one. He did make the one to send it to overtime that week, but he missed the one that would have delivered victory in week two. Vikings 0-2, Seahawks coming to town. Seahawks are going to be desperate to get a win as well. That's it for today. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Have a great evening.